0: PodCastle episode number 462 for March 31st, 2017. Rated PG-13.
1: Hello and welcome to PodCastle. I'm Kelly Robson. I'm a Canadian science fiction, fantasy, and horror writer. I'm a Nebula, World Fantasy, and Sturgeon Award finalist, and my publications have appeared at Tor.com, Asimov's, Clark's World, and several anthologies, including a number of years' bests. A few years ago, my wife and I moved from Vancouver to Toronto, and I'm especially excited to be guest hosting today's story for Artemis Rising 3, because the story is set in my old stomping grounds, the Pacific Northwest which is one of the most gorgeous places on Earth. It's a mysterious, atmospheric, and let's face it, magical place. PodCastle is very proud to present Stay, written by Casey Ball. This is a PodCastle original. Casey Ball lives in Seattle with her wife, Rachel Buchanan. Casey Ball's speculative fiction has been published in various online and print magazines, including Analogue, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Daily Science Fiction, and Lightspeed. Some of her stories are collected in Snapshots from a Black Hole and Other Oddities from Hydra House Books. Casey is a 2010 graduate of the Clarion West Writers' Workshop and a 2009 winner of the Hubbard Writers of the Future Award. You can follow her online at kcball.com. Your reader today is Tina Connolly, the author of the Iron Skin Trilogy from Tor Books and the Seriously Wicked series from Tor Teen. Her novels have been finalists for the Nebula Award and the Norton Award. Tina's stories are collected in On the Eyeball Floor and Other Stories from Fairwood Press. She's one of the current co-hosts of Escape Pod, and her narrations have appeared all over. She lives with her family in Portland, Oregon, and her website is tinaconnelly.com. Now, sit back and feel the magic of the Pacific Northwest and enjoy the story. Stay,
2: by Casey Ball. An almost bass voice said something I didn't catch. Higher voices giggled, then five kids moved out of the shadows into the hard light of the parking lot. Two boys, three girls, none a day beyond eighteen, bumping against each other, laughing for no reason, at ease and full of life, the way kids are when they believe adults can't see or hear them. I recognized the ginger girl. She looked to be the youngest of the bunch, but only by a year or two. One boy was good-sized, wide across the shoulders with muscle to him. I would have to watch him he could put up a fight. The second boy was almost as tall, didn't have the body mass the big kid had, but had attitude. He elbowed the big kid and hooked his thumb toward Emma, curled up across the lot from where I hid beneath the bushes, her tail across her nose. They saw just another mutt. The notion she might be like them didn't seem to cross their minds. The big kid kicked off his scuffed cross trainers, shed his hoodie and an old Eddie Vedder t-shirt, then pushed out of his ragged jeans. He stretched once, showing off his naked muscles and his manhood, stiffening for all to see. Then, one instant biped, the next on all four. Newfoundland, big and shaggy, charcoal black, broad across the chest with feet as big as dinner plates. He shook away the pain and sucked in cold, damp Seattle air. I heard that touch of bass again in the howl he hurled to the winter night. As if responding to his howl, three of the others followed him into canine form. The blonde girl became a collie, her silky white and golden coat as tangled as her hair had been. The brunette turned to chocolate Labrador. The second boy became a long-legged Doberman. He danced around, growling and nipping at the others, showing off his teeth. Not hard to see, he still had a lot of puppy in him. The ginger girl strapped a worn backpack onto the newfie and held her head close to his as she filled the backpack with the other's shirts and pants and shoes. Too tight? she asked. The newfie shook his shaggy head. She shuddered at the cold when she finally removed her own clothing and stuffed them in the pack, but she stood naked for a time as if stealing herself for the transformation. Not long after we met, I asked Emma how changing felt. Oh, it hurts like hell, she had said. Like every little piece of me has come unglued from every other piece, but it's quick, you can get used to it. The ginger girl made up her mind. Her transformation to an Irish setter was slower than the others, but the uh, others didn't matter. The ginger girl was the reason we were there. Her name was Lily Pond, and we had come to take her home. Lily ran away the night she turned sixteen. Emma and I met with her parents at their home the next day. They sat close to each other in matching wing-back chairs. The wall behind them was a shrine to Lily. Ribbons, certificates, and photographs, all in matching walnut frames. We had such hopes for her, Darlene Pond said. I glanced at Emma, my partner in business and in life. She raised an eyebrow. She had heard the past tense, too. How can we help, she asked. Well, we were told you two handle special cases. What makes your daughter a special case, Emma asked. Arnold Pond cleared his throat. Uh, She's told us she changes into a dog. Lycanthropy, I believe you call it. I shook my head. Lycanthropes can change into wolves. Emma jumped in again. Lily is a shapeshifter. She's nothing of the sort, Darlene sounded angry. She only claims to change. We have never seen her do it, Arnold said. Her grades have fallen, Darlene said. She skips classes. She'll never make it into Stanford pre-med if she doesn't change her ways. She's made new friends, Arnold said. She's met a boy, Darlene said. They're Arnold interrupted. We don't know that. He reached for her hand, but she was having none of that. We'll look for her, I said. Thank you, Arnold said. Please, bring her home. On the ride home, we sat shuddered with our own thoughts for a time. Emma finally broke the silence. A lot of expectation there she said, as we crossed the dark waters of Lake Washington on our way back to Seattle. I would run away from that, too. She didn't need to remind me that she had. Almost through the Mount Baker Tunnel, she spoke again. You remember our first night? Twenty-six years old, and the five years I had given to the Seattle Police Department lost to an unchecked fit of righteous rage. My second shift as bouncer at a Belltown gay bar started with a dog in the alley dumpster, foraging. I stood at the back door with the owner. We could hear the dog's claws against the metal walls. Deal with it, he told me. Beg pardon? He made a face. I saw in the hardness of his eyes and the way he pursed his lips that keeping my new job depended on how I handled this. Put it in a box, mail it down to Portland, he said. "'Toss it in the sound or take it home, for Christ's sakes. "'Deal with it.' "'So I went dumpster diving. "'I grabbed an almost-grown German shepherd, "'expecting to get bit, "'and came up with a squirming, kicking armload "'of naked teenage girl instead. "'I had my damping field to thank for that, of course. "'It's some sort of natural phenomenon I can't turn on or off, "'and it cancels any sort of magic "'operating within arm's length of me. "'I have no idea how I got it. "'Don't talk about it much to anyone.' But it's handy in a world with so much more magic in it than ordinary folks suspect. That was a long time ago, I said, as we left the tunnel. Emma turned to me. Half a lifetime. You're sorry you took me home? Never. You're sorry you stayed? No. I tried a smile on her. There you go. I got a smile in return. I wasn't much older than Lily, Emma said. That's where this was headed. ''Don't start,'' I said. ''You were eighteen. Legal. That age, two years, makes a big difference.'' ''But you were adult,'' I said. ''She's still a kid.'' She turned back to the window. ''Still a kid,'' she murmured. ''I suppose you're right.'' I didn't push it. Even managed to stay quiet until I turned off the interstate and headed up the hill toward home. ''You having second thoughts about this?'' I asked. I can call and tell them we changed our minds. She sounded tired. No, let's find the girl. Emma twisted to her feet and trotted across the parking lot toward the new-formed dogs. Caught up in their endorphin highs, none of them noticed her until she was only a few feet away. The newfie caught Emma's scent then and turned to offer challenge. She shivered once and changed to human form quicker than I can say the words, but she had lots of practice. Nice doggies, she said. That was my cue. Do it, Mandy, I whispered in my throat mic. I heard an engine start not too far away. That was our ride home. The five dogs backed away from Emma. I rolled from beneath my hiding place and cat-footed toward them. An arm's length from Lily, my damping field kicked in. When I scooped her up, she whimpered like a frightened dog, but she was a naked teenage girl again. I spun around and ran, Lily twisting in my arms. Halfway to the street, Emma hurtled by. Just as an unmarked cargo van skidded to the curb, sliding side panel door already opened, Emma arrowed inside. Step on it, cupcake, Mandy called from behind the wheel. Mandy's an old friend, a witch of considerable talent and undetermined age. She also had a sure hand on the steering wheel and didn't rattle easily. I trusted her when she said to run. Sometimes when she's feeling playful, Emma calls me Lady Longlegs, tall as I am. I kicked it up a notch now and really flew. Five strides away, the panel door began to close. I got Lily through the narrowing gap and made a hurried dive myself. The door snapped into place inches from my heels just as the new slammed into the van. Mandy hit the gas and we were gone. I called ahead so the lights were on when we pulled up to the porch. We had brought a terry robe for Lily. Wrapped up in it, she looked small and delicate. Emma went first. I urged Lily to join her then slipped into the cold myself. This late at night, Arnold still wore a tie. Darlene stood behind him, a cashmere sweater pulled tight around her. Her eyes brightened when she saw Lily, and she pushed past her husband to gather her daughter into her arms. Sweetie, she murmured, we're glad to have you home. She pulled the girl onto the porch. Arnold stepped close and slid a paternalistic arm around the two. Send me the bill, was all he said. Some welcome home, Mandy said as we drove away, dry-eyed the both of them. I wonder, Emma asked, if either of them saw Lily's tears. Was she crying? asked. She jerked her hand away and glared at me. Jesus, Kate. I was joking, I said, trying to make nice. She slid away from me. I'm not so sure of that, and even if it was a joke, I don't think it's funny. That confused me. Usually, Emma accepted my callow jokes with better grace. When we finished a job, we'd celebrate regardless of the hour. That night, we went straight home. Mandy dropped us off and drove away. Emma was asleep when I came to bed or acted as if she was. I dreamed of puppies all night long. Three weeks later, just after Thanksgiving, Arnold called a second time. She's gone again, he said. I told him we'd get on it right away. When I hung up, there was Emma, fists on her hips, just out of reach. I don't want to do this again, she said. Kiddo, you're projecting because Lily's a shapeshifter too. It's just a job. Don't psychoanalyze me and don't call me kiddo. I told him we'd find her. Get her, you mean. That's not what I said. You said we would get right on it like good toadies. It's not like that, I growled. This is what we do. Maybe we should stop doing it. I waved my hand at the telephone, inviting her to use it. She picked up the handset, tapped star six nine, and made it a conference call. It rang three times. Darlene Pond answered. Hello? Emma Stone here, Emma said. Arnold just spoke with Miss Still. I know. We have a problem. "'She told him we would look for Lily again, but I'm afraid we can't do that. "'I can give you a name, someone reliable. "'I don't want someone else. I prefer your services.' "'Mrs. Pond,' Emma began. "'Darlene plowed on. Didn't Arnold pay you promptly?' "'Emma sighed. He did. "'And he'll pay you promptly this time. Double your fee, triple it. I don't care. Just find my daughter.' The dial tone buzzed. Darlene had hung up. Emma glared at me. The look said, "'That was your fault.' "'One more time,' she said, "'but I won't keep doing this.' We took up the hunt again, spotted them second night, but came away without her. "'She's getting smarter,' I said when we got home. Emma shook her head. "'It's not her. It's him. He loves her, wants to keep her safe.' He's just a kid, I said. We'll get her. Emma shook her head. I don't like that word. What word? Get. It sounds like you think Lily is property. I should have kept my mouth shut. I was tired. You're sure we're talking about Lily? Emma's eyes narrowed. You can be such a bitch, she said. Come on, it's how we pay our bills. "'This was an argument we had had before, but it had never been this intense. "'I didn't know how to deal with it. "'To hell with Bills,' she stormed. "'She'll just go back to him again. You know that. "'I won't do this a third time, even if that woman begs me, "'and you best not say another word.' "'She had made me angry, frightened, and uncomfortable, "'as if the life we had made together was less than righteous. "'And when I get scared, it's too easy for me to say things I regret.' I'll say anything I damned well want to say, I snarled. She drew away from me, then walked off and slammed the bedroom door. No matter how long I knocked or what I said, she wouldn't open it. I slept on the sofa. We made up in the morning, but things fell out of Kildur as we looked for Lily, night after night. Two days before Christmas, we spotted the pack, this time in Schmidt's Park, a postage stamp of greenery just south of Alki Beach. Seven this time, but Mandy managed to drive away again. Almost 3 a.m., but the lights shone bright at the pond house. Lily had refused to put on the terry robe we offered and sat naked on the cold steel floor the whole ride home. Fuck you, I had told her when she refused. I hope you catch pneumonia. On the run to the van, she'd bitten me. Fuck you too, she growled. Kid, I said as we pulled up to the house, we'll take you in that way if that's what you want. Lily shook her head, a tight, contained movement so full of anger I could smell it. She shrugged into the robe and the three of us climbed from the van. Her mother and father waited on the porch, wrapped against the cold. Arnold held on to his wife as if the wind that slammed in off Lake Washington would blow her away if he let go. You both know I'll just run away again, Lily muttered, so low her parents never heard. Emma didn't say a word. I gave the kid's upper arm a little pinch, hard enough to let her know I meant it. "'Let's think more positively,' I whispered back. "'Arnold watched in silence as Darlene marched Lily into the house. "'I'll get my checkbook,' they said. "'We'll send a bill,' Emma said, like the first time. "'I'll pay now. I'm ready to be done with this.' "'Our work phone rang on New Year's Eve. "'Don't answer it,' Emma said. "'Why?' I don't want to take her back to them again. You don't know it's the pawns. It's them, she said. Don't answer. I pretended I hadn't heard. I stepped to her work desk and reached for the handset. Don't, Emma said. We can do without the work. I didn't really want to deal with the pawns again, but we'd taken money twice and Lily wouldn't stay at home. Call it what you like. Professional pride. Work ethic. Work ethic. Or maybe I didn't care for Emma telling me what to do. I tapped the conference call button and said, Still in stone, security. A man's voice filled the room. That you, still? To me. John Osborne here. Emma lifted an eyebrow. Seattle PD. Hello, Oz, I said. I'm at the emergency room at Swedish Medical. Got a couple here, say so they uh, gotta see you. Emma stepped close. What are the Ponds doing at Swedish? Stone, Oz asked. Who else would it be? Now, how'd you know I was talking about the Ponds? Lucky guess? Funny girl, Oz said. Listen, Arnold Pond was attacked tonight outside a restaurant downtown. Witnesses said it was uh, a pack of dogs. Just the sort of thing me and Gail get stuck with all the time. "'How soon can you get here?' "'We're going to a party,' Emma said. "'To uh, stop by on the way,' he said, and hung up. "'It hadn't sounded like a suggestion.' "'Midnight might still be an hour or more away, "'but the snap of fireworks cut through the hum of tires on the interstate, "'a block or so from the hospital. "'The charred scent of black powder hung in the air. "'Oz waited just outside the emergency room entrance, "'average height on the paunchy side.' Droopy, hound dog face. Sort you'd never expect to be a cop until you caught a good look at his eyes and spotted the unexpected menace lurking there. We still wore our party clothes. Oz raised an eyebrow. Don't you two look good enough to be a a picture in some fashion magazine? Emma didn't even try to hide her simmering anger. I said we were on our way out. Let's make this short. Inside, it smelled of disinfectant and blood and fear. Voices were low-pitched, conversations terse. Every chair was filled. People stood along the walls, three and four deep. Most wore party clothes. One guy was in pajamas. He sat with a woman wrapped in nothing but a charred blanket. A paramedic leaned on the registration desk, flirting with an admissions clerk. They made it sound like it might be a regular thing with them. Oz didn't even take the time to flash the tin... We pushed our way through double-hinged doors. The big room beyond was lined with cubicles. Detective D.A. Gale waited at one of them, half in, half out of the privacy curtain. She didn't look like a cop any more than Oz. Soft-featured, rail-thin, a basic package to be pretty, but she tried to hide it. Her haphazard haircut made it look like she'd just come in from a high wind. Hey, was all she said. When she slid the curtain back, I spotted Darlene. Arnold, looking frail and tired, rested on a wheeled gurney. A starched sheet pulled up to his chin. As soon as he saw us, he struggled to sit up. Thank God you came, he said. Darlene jumped in. Lily's run off with that trash again. Nice to see you too, I said. Darlene's nostrils flared. Don't you take that tone. Arnold laid a hand on her arm. Darlene, he rasped. This is no time to get all worked up. "'Do not Darlene me!' "'I ignored her. "'How long has she been gone?' "'No more than an hour,' Arnold said. "'Darlene jumped in again. "'The boy came at us. "'He and his dirty friends knocked Arnold down and carted her away.' "'Big kid with dark hair?' I asked. "'I suppose,' Darlene said. "'Yes, an ugly boy. Bad genes.' "'I glanced at Oz. He raised an eyebrow. "'I could hear his words on the telephone.' Uh, "'Witnesses said it was a pack of dogs.' "'Arnold looked as if he'd put up a fight. "'There was an inch cut through one eyebrow. "'It would require stitches. "'So would his lower lip, "'and his left cheekbone carried a darkening bruise. "'One earlobe was all but gone, "'the ragged stub crusted in dirt and dried blood. "'He saw me staring at that ear. "'He reached but didn't touch it. "'Do you see that?' Darlene snapped. "'Do you? They bit off my husband's ear.' "'Just the lobe.' Arnold rasped. It's not funny, Arnold, Darlene said. He ignored her. We saw a change tonight. I saw no such thing, Darlene snapped. Yes, you did, Arnold said. Others saw it too, and those weren't boys that attacked me. They were dogs. Oz tipped his head at Em and me. What do you uh, want from these two? Get her, Darlene said. Bring her home. I saw Emma's eyes widen, her nostrils flared. I reached for her to make sure she didn't change. She pulled away, ready to explode. Arnold saw her anger, too. Darlene, he said, would you find the nurse? We all held our breath. At last, she nodded. All right. Once she was out of earshot, Arnold settled back into the gurney. I apologize, he said. This has hit Darlene hard this time of year. It might be wiser to let Lily come home on her own this time, but Darlene wants her now. What do you want? I asked again. I love my wife, Miss Still, he said, and I would be lost without her. So? I will pay you to find our daughter and return her home, this time and as often as it takes. Emma turned and stalked from the cubicle. Will you do it? Arnold asked, his voice pitched low. I nodded. We'll find her. Thank you, he said. Now I would like to rest. Emma waited in the parking garage. I was strides away, but when I didn't push the fob to unlock the car fast enough to suit her, she rapped on the window glass. I hit the button. She jerked at the latch, threw herself into the seat, slammed the door. Trying to break it? I asked as I slid behind the wheel. "'Don't start on me,' she snapped. "'If you'd listened, if you hadn't answered the goddamn telephone, "'we wouldn't be here, wouldn't have had to watch that little drama. "'We'd be at the party having fun.' "'We can still make it.' "'No,' she said. "'Take me home.' Traffic was slow and heavy, too many people hoping to find too much fun. I tried to focus on driving, but my mind wasn't on the job. I pulled into a drugstore parking lot. "'What are you doing?' Emma asked. I want to talk, and I can't do it while I drive. I don't want to talk. I drew a breath and dived in. Then listen. I'm sorry I upset you. She turned on me. No, you're not. You're sorry it turned out the way it did, and you're trying to make peace. I'm serious. You're not. What do I have to say to prove it? I said. I'll call the pawns right now if you really want me to and tell them to find someone else. She reached into her coat pocket, tugged out her cell phone, and thrust it at me. Here! I stared at the phone but couldn't bring myself to touch it. Her lip curled, showing her canines larger than a baseline human's teeth. I heard a growl building deep in her chest. She couldn't change, not within arm's length of me, but I saw in her eyes she wanted to, most likely needed to. I can't stand it when you lie to me, she snarled. We've got to finish this, I said. She hurled her phone at me. It bounced off my left cheek and hit the window behind me hard enough to crack the case. I touched my cheek, felt the blood. Damn it, Emma, that's going to leave a mark. Good, she said. It will remind both of us that there are too many times you want me to follow orders, like I'm your pet. That's not true. It is, I swear. Her voice shifted into a fair imitation of my own. Good doggy, do what I tell you and we'll catch the bad men. She dropped back to her own voice. Is that how you think of me, Kate, is it? I don't, don't you lie to me again. I shut up, knowing there was no safe answer, wondering how things had gotten so far out of hand. Give me my phone, she said. I did. She tapped one of the speed dial buttons. The phone still worked, at least. Wait. Mandy, she said into the phone. Hang on a minute. She turned to me. The heat in her words would have melted steel. What I want right now is to go somewhere far away. You can't. I can, and if I go, I won't come back. I'll be sorry later, though. I know I will. So we'll do this one last time, then it's done. Do you hear me, Kate? It's done. I rubbed my cheek, but didn't hesitate. Okay. We couldn't find a rental van on New Year's Day, so we took Mandy's SUV, a silver Escalade. Emma rode shotgun. I sprawled in the blanket-lined cargo compartment to be an arm's length away from the charm Mandy had witched for us. It pulled us over the West Seattle Bridge and south on 35th Avenue, then west toward Puget Sound, down steep and winding Barton Street. Halfway down the hill, at the entrance to Fauntleroy Park, the charm went wild. A 32-acre patch of woods, the park runs through a deep ravine crisscrossed with hard-packed dirt trails and timber bridges. There was no artificial light. The night was overcast. I used an electric lantern to illuminate the path. Emma didn't need much light as she loped ahead of me. Before long, we came upon a wooden bridge crossing a fast-flowing creek. Emma stopped to wait for me. Close up, she changed to human form, and I slipped a trench coat around her. Under that bridge, she whispered. Lily and the boy. The others are in among the trees. Come out, all of you, I called. The big kid, in human form and dressed in ragtag clothes, scrambled up the creek bank, then paused just at the top. "'Okay, guys,' he called. "'The others eased into view, a dozen this time, "'all in human form and all carrying some sort of blunt weapon. "'Cudgels, fist-sized rocks, an old baseball bat. they had planned this. "'Even if I had a gun and I never carried one, "'there was no way I could take on this pack at once. "'Don't want to hurt you,' the big kid said. "'But if Lily doesn't want to, she's not going back with you.' "'He turned to help Lily up the bank.' She was in human form as well. She waddled up the bank, and as my light fell on her, I saw the reason for the waddle. She was pregnant. Not too many months, but enough to show. Your mother and father want you to come home, I said. I'm home already, she said, with Danny and my friends. The big kid, Danny, slipped his arm around her shoulders. She leaned into him, drawing and giving strength. You heard my wife, he said. Neither of you is old enough to marry, I said. Doesn't matter what human law says. His voice held on to a deeper tone. She's my wife. I won't let you take her if she doesn't want to go. She laid her hand on her tummy. I'm not going back. I took a step forward. There was movement all around. Easy, Kate, Emma murmured. They won't let us do this. Then what do you propose? We can walk away. You said you'd help find her and take her home. Her voice softened. I said I'd help find her. I never said I'd help take her back. You said that. It's what we do, I said. Then we should stop, she said. I know I don't want to do it any more. not after this. And I'm supposed to have a say in our business too. Or have I got that wrong? I mustn't have answered fast enough. She stepped so close we were breathing each other's air. Her words snapped off like pieces of a brittle stick. I told you the other night if I leave I won't come back. I meant it. If we walk out of her with her against her will I will be gone tonight. Don't be like this, I said. I love you. Darlene says she loves Lily too but she treats her like property. I asked you before, is that how you see me? "'Of course not,' I said. "'All we're doing is taking their money,' she finished. "'It's not—it is. "'If we take the money and do what we're told to, "'we're as bad as Darlene.' "'I'm not like that. "'You've said that before. "'Prove it.' "'She studied me. "'Her anger drained away. "'I expected more, but she apparently had said her piece. "'She didn't move, didn't even blink, waiting for my answer.' I realized that she was right. I'd bullied my way through this case without any thought for what dealing with another shapeshifter and a teenaged girl at that would do to Emma. I began to cry. I'd be lost without you, I said, and heard an echo of what Arnold had said in the hospital. She stepped close and touched my face to dab away my tears. Her voice softened. Me too. What do we do? I asked. She shook her head. I don't know. If we don't take her back, Darlene will send someone else to find her. Hey. It was Danny. I turned my light toward them. He and Lily took a step toward us. We're here too, you know, he said. And? Stop treating us like puppies. Sorry, Emma said. Danny shrugged. Whatever. We like to live this way, but it doesn't mean we don't remember how to think. You have an idea? Emma asked. We do, Lily said. Yeah, Danny said. Actually, we do. Mid-morning when Emma and I arrived at the pond house, we hadn't needed Mandy for this trip, but we had borrowed her SUV. I'd called ahead, of course. Arnold and Darlene waited for us on the porch. His wrist was in a cast, his ear covered by a bandage. His face sported all manner of bruises, scrapes, and cuts. Darlene came down the steps as we climbed out of the car. that didn't take long, she said. Good work, the both... She paused when she spotted the Irish setter I lifted from the rear compartment and cradled in my arms. What's this? she demanded. You asked us to bring your daughter home, Emma said. Darlene stepped close and peered at the dog as if she didn't understand just what I held. The setter stretched toward her, Sniffing the air between the two of them. Her long pink tongue rolled out as she offered Darlene a sloppy doggy kiss. Darlene stepped away from us, rubbing at her face. Is this your idea of a joke? No, ma'am, I said. Mrs. Pond, Emma said, you've got to face the fact that Lily is a shapeshifter. She's not! Darlene was close to tears. You saw her change last night, Emma said. How much more proof do you need? Arnold said that. I didn't see a thing. You saw it too, Darlene, Arnold said from the porch. There's no way you can force Lily to be human, I said. Not if she doesn't want to be. Arnold held out his arms. Bring her here. No! Arnold waved Darlene's cry away. Bring her here, I said. Darlene's eyes grew wide. It looked as if she might be having trouble breathing as I carried the setter onto the porch and placed her at Arnold's feet. He knelt and laid his hand upon the setter's neck. The dog leaned close to lick his cheek. He grinned and began to fuss with her ears. Thank you, he said. You're welcome, Emma said. How long will she stay this way, he asked. There's no way to say for sure, I said. You have a very stubborn daughter. Runs in the family, he murmured as he fussed at the dog. Arnold, give them that animal back, Darlene begged. You hear me? Right this instant. I won't do that, Arnold said. Darlene turned on her heel and stomped up onto the porch. Arnold, she said, are you going to side with them? He looked up at her. I'm going to side with Lily. Her eyes widened and she took a step back, then disappeared into the house. The door slammed behind her. Arnold continued to stroke those silky ears. The dog pushed against the pressure, loving it. "'We'll be going now,' I said, taking Emma's hand. "'I know what you did,' Arnold said. My heart jumped a beat or two. "'What do you mean?' He turned to us. "'You fooled my wife, I'll give you that, although it might not have worked if she hadn't been so angry. You can't fool me, though. This isn't Lily.' Pull a switch, Danny had said at the park. Hand over a setter bitch that's pregnant say Lily's too stubborn to change back. The hardest part of Danny's plan had been finding an Irish setter near enough to Lily's age and appearance and pregnant, too. And we spent hours on her cell phones on New Year's Day and then drove all the way to a private shelter in Olympia. They'll need to know eventually, Emma had said on the ride back up the interstate. I know that, Danny had said but after the delivery, Lily had added. Danny had grinned. Well, yeah. Arnold stood. How is my daughter? He asked. I glanced at Emma. She nodded. Healthy, I said. Well taken care of. And loved, Emma added. Will she come home? Eventually, Emma said. Good. Arnold squatted next to the dog again. I'll send a check. We'll pass it on, Emma said. I meant for you. I know. How did you figure it out, I asked. Didn't know for certain till just now, he said. He leaned close and crooned something quiet to the dog. We stepped to the SUV and I opened the door for Emma. Miss Still, Arnold said. My breath caught. Not certain what more he had to say, I turned to him. Yes? My wife's not as much of a bitch as you might think. She's just used to having her own way. And uh, trying to protect her, I've let her get away with it too long. She'll come around when I've talked to her. Once she sees a grandchild. Grandchildren, I corrected. He smiled. Of course. Grandchildren. She'll love all of them. I smiled. It isn't in the human heart not to love a puppy, is it? No, it's not, he said. "'We'll be going now,' I said. "'You know, Darlene isn't the only one who ran a background check. "'Mine was more thorough, I expect, "'and I'm more open to the notion of magic than she is. "'More curious as well.' "'My heart stuttered. "'Oh?' I said. "'Arnold turned his attention to the dog. "'No need to worry. I'll keep your secrets,' he said. "Uh, "'But there's one thing I would like to know, Ms. Stone.' "'What's that?' Emma asked. Does it hurt? He hesitated, as if taken aback by his own temerity. Does it hurt when you change? He was trying to understand our magic. I could see that in his eyes, as surely as I saw how much he loved his daughter. It wasn't difficult to recognize. I had been trying to understand our magic since that night behind the bar. Emma didn't hesitate to tell the lie. No, sir, she said. Not even a little bit. Thank you, Arnold said. Of course. She climbed into the SUV. I closed her door, walked to the other side, and settled in beside her. The engine started with an easy touch, and I took us home.
1: And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed Stay by Casey Ball, narrated by Tina Connolly. I was surprised at how gentle and sweet natured the story is, with webs of love and care connecting everyone to each other. And now for some episode feedback.
0: Salam good people. This is Khalida Muhammad Ali, assistant editor over here at Podcastle. Hope you've all been well. Feedback this week is for PodCastle episode number 451 or Be Forever Fallen by A. Merk Rustad and episode number 452, Hibakusha by L.P. Lee. Regarding or Be Forever Fallen, Devoted135 had this to say. This was dark. There was a sense of a noose tightening as the ghosts laid their trap and the narrator's already limited options were taken away. The description of the ghost borrowing his eyes was particularly creepy, but in sort of a cool way. I do find myself wondering what he really did to deserve all of this. Why did he want his previous attackers to remove all of his memories and even his name? Perhaps I've missed or forgotten a reveal, but it didn't seem clear to me why he was such a marked man. Regarding Hibakusha, we had two commenters. Veranacat said this, I love the imagery in this one. It's an absolutely gorgeous piece. I initially was really struggling to figure out why it was a fantasy, but then the lead was able to put together a poetic narrative out of a language they did not know using Google Translate. Wow, talk about a fantasy. All joking aside, though, this was a gorgeous piece. Devoted135 agreed. I'm afraid I have to agree with Veronica about the fantasy element. It falls more into the magical realism camp for me, just farther afield than something I could imagine hearing on selected shorts. Also, why is he apparently conjured by her investigation? I need a thread to grasp onto here. That aside, this was a beautiful story. The description of the survivor's dance was so evocative that I felt like I was actually watching it, and the scene where she flees the house all the way to the boat had me holding my breath as well. Wonderful writing. Devoted135 and Veranacat, we thank you for stopping by and leaving a comment. Keep coming back to let us know what you think of our stories. I love hearing your varied, intelligent, and thoughtful comments about the stories we produce. For those of you who didn't leave a comment this time, I sure hope you'll jump into the fray on the next go-round by visiting the Escape Artists Forum at forum.escapeartists.net. We would love to hear your thoughts. Well, that's it for now, but we'll be back next week. Hope to see you there.
1: Peace. Thank you for those comments. Please stop by podcastle.org and let us know what you thought of Stay by KC Ball. That was our story for this week. On behalf of everyone at Podcastle, thanks for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another. Until then... This is Kelly Robson, reminding you that you can leave the mountains, but you'll never forget them. Our closing quote comes from Maria Semple, who said, The best thing about Seattle is the weather. The world over, people have ocean views, but across our ocean is Bainbridge Island, an evergreen curb, and over it, the exploding, craggy, snow-scraped Olympics. I guess what I'm saying is, I miss it the mountains, and the water.